Peter. Hey, how hey, you doing? How you doing? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> uh, how you doing? <laughs> um, hanging in there. Hanging in there. Um, yeah. Just yeah, trying. You had a long, you had a long day. No, not a long day. So, you know, it's still only two o'clock for me here on, oh, the, like, on the left coast. So we, we, yeah, we're just getting started. Right. I just woke up a couple hours ago. You know, it feels oh. like it's morning. <laughs> <I'm kidding>. Really? <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm sure, no, I'm sure I got up, okay yeah. <laughs> I got up at seven, but oh, cool. um, yeah, no, afternoons are, uh, to be honest, I get my second cup of coffee in the afternoon and then i'm i'm ready to go so um but i'm yeah i'm i've been thinking about this episode for a while Mm -hmm. you know critical race story i feel like a lot of our um the initial reason for us interacting and and starting this was because of issues surrounding race and um you know the the challenges we face in our culture now so i thought it's it's this book has been helpful in ge- getting us uh, kind of the postmodern background behind um, our current racial tension, but this mm-hmm. is really where it climaxes for me. And there's several other books that uh, I've been reading. Fault Lines from Bodie Bauckham just came out, which is excellent um, wow. and really yeah. ties it to the church mm-hmm. and and. Um, you know, we read early on, we read Color of Compromise and, uh, by Jamar Tisby and critiqued that. Mm-hmm. I think, if anything, he's become more entrenched in his view, and we've become probably more critical of mm-hmm. that book and his views uh, since then. So, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about this episode? Yeah, I think you and I, um, we connected uh about a month after george floyd i think you and i were both affected by that and then but in different ways and you and i kind of started reading up on some stuff we didn't really yeah i I would say that you we were both somewhat new to the game on how to identify some of these movement what movements what's going on um but we weren't necessarily satisfied with the answer a lot of the answers that we were hearing but we were still i would say kind of wandering on where to land and i think after a lot of discussions especially the one with monique that our listeners can look at for you know a few weeks ago um so it's been it's been a lot more than a few weeks now yeah yeah i guess two months ago right yeah so i mean that that uh you know and we've had quite a few other guests as well and just our own dialogue and um, I think where the church is going and how the church has been more and more divided about these issues, there's something going on that is ungospel-like, I would say. But I don't want, I'm very careful on, you know me, I, I try to listen first and then judge later. But uh, I do think this chapter does a really good job uh, that we're going to look at um, on explaining where critical race theory really comes from as a philosophy. Because I think yeah. it's really, it's important that our listeners understand um, like we how or why or how they're so boggled down um because it could seem very uh um just unnuanced or you know uh, it it could seem very confusing it could seem very uh kind of daunting uh especially when you're a white cis male or cis female whatever that's supposed to mean you know and that you're kind of having some problems with maybe your black brother or sisters how they're dealing with race and especially stuff with black lives matter maybe it's at your church where they're telling you to confess your white privilege 
you know, you're not sure where or how this sounds wrong, but you're kind of going along with it, but you're like where we were, not sure how to address it. So I'm hoping this right. chapter is going to do a very good job telling you where this philosophy has come from, where it came from, why it is what it is, why it does what it does, and why it actually does want to silence a lot of people's voice so that it can put things in categories to leave you either voiceless or to confess and be on their side. So yeah. it's very evangelical in that way, in that like the kind of like you have to be converted. And if you do, this is how you can be kind of on our side as witnesses. And if you're not for yeah. us, you're against us. Kind it's of how you can receive uh, your atonement, right? It's yeah, per yeah. Perpetual atonement. Sure. Um, that you're after, but I would highlight, you mentioned our interview with Monique Dusan, which was, um, it still remains, I think our most popular episode and, uh, the most, the, the best received, um, most views on YouTube, the most views on Facebook. So we really appreciated that interview with her and, and it just lays the ground, some of the groundwork for, um, for this discussion we're going to have. And, and I'll put that in a link to that in the notes if you're listening on, you know, Apple uh, podcast or if you're following on YouTube, but anyways, that's a, I would encourage you to follow her and their, their podcast. Um, all the things I think is what it's called. All the things podcast between with her and um, Krista Bontrager, uh, really good mm -hmm. stuff, yeah. but let's jump in. Uh, if you don't mind, I mean, we can jump into the book. Oh, you know what? I'll just highlight as well. If, if you are on, Apple iTunes, or if you're following along some other, you know, whether it's Spotify or something, or I guess even Amazon, we're on several different platforms, but whatever you're on, we would, we would love to have a, a review. Um, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button, let us know what you think, send some, you know, feedback or comments. All of that just helps with, you know, how the social media algorithms, it, it's, it's all based on just people interacting and engaging with what they're watching. So it's helpful when you do something like that to us, we're not asking you to buy our products because we're not selling anything, but if you can do that, that would be um, a great help to us. And uh, we yeah, can absolutely. let more people know about, about this stuff. So anyways, you want to kick us off with the, with sure. the book now? Yeah, let's do it. So as we've been doing, we're just going to do like a book review. Uh, so it starts with uh, basically saying that critical race theory at its root is America is an American phenomenon. So even though the United Kingdom what? and it's uh, it's it's an American phenomenon more so than a European phenomenon really started here. And uh, CRT, we're just going to call it CRT for short, is really holds that race is a social construct that was created to maintain white privilege and white supremacy. So that's how CRT looks at race, that that's why race uh, was basically invented. And there is some, you know, there's some, um, act, that's a pretty somewhat historically accurate statement. I mean, when you look at the Bible, for example, written thousands of years ago, they didn't really put people into categories of white and brown and stuff like that. Um, and they, they state that the concept of race was not consistently uh, connected to credibility in Europe until about the 16th century. So you didn't really talk, you didn't really see a lot of people talking about racial backgrounds until around 1600s or 16th century, excuse me. And by, you know, and, and when that came, uh, that's where you started start seeing people use that as a justification for the atrocities of European col colonialism. And then of course the Atlantic slave trade. 
And then most importantly, you start seeing natural scholarships uh, kind of starting to natural sciences, although they had neither separated clearly into the disciplines we would now call anthropology, sociology, biology. In other words, you started seeing that those uh, forms of natural, forms of scholarship and what you would uh, call it, um, those types of things. So those are the three points that they say. And in the beginning, he is, he, you know, uh, Lindsay and, um, and Pluckrose state that, you know, that this was, it came into existence really right after this Atlantic safe, slave trade and where theorists today would call the scientific origins of racism or the socially constructive racists, they, that's where they start to come into existence, that we start depending, we start seeing people based on their skin color. So that's what, mm -hmm. uh, that's what gave a lot of people justification to, to enslave blacks and, and not just blacks, but also whites were also enslaved. People often forget that right. as a huge amount of whites were enslaved, were enslaved and the Moroccan slave trade, it was used in, basically throughout the world. And so uh, let's fast forward, you know, uh, where we started seeing Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, W.E.B. Uh, e. Dubois, Dubois uh, Winthrop Jordan. They started uh, really attacking the exposing a lot of racism and the ideologies where it comes from. You and I would agree with all of their critiques. Martin Luther King as well, where discrimination it really fought on the grounds of, of that, you know, discriminating somebody based on their skin color should be illegal. You and I would 100% agree on that, that we should not judge anybody based on their skin color. But where it started coming in the 1970s, the word critical started coming in. Because as much as the study of law, uh, you know, um, basically won a lot of victories, they wanted to see where racism was a lot less, de uh, clearly less, uh, demonstrable. And so they divided, they started defining racism very differently. Uh, no, no longer as judging somebody based on their skin color, but they started understanding that they started taking a very different presupposition on, a, on, a, on addressing these issues. And they, they state that there's two points. Uh, number one, the materialist ap approach, as well as the postmodern approach. Now, the materialist approach is going to look at um, economic, legal, legal, political, how those affect racial minorities. And the main point, such as the late Derek Bell, who is a materialist, he would be very much interested in, in this, quote, interest convergence. And what that just means is that um, white people are only wanting to pass legal laws, like his anti-discrimination laws, mainly because it was in their interest to do so. So he didn't actually believe that white people really cared. He kind of read into that, that people really cared about the civil rights mainly because they it was just like in their personal interest. And critical race theory started to become much more a liberal. So in its theory, and um, it started to actually converge with more like Black, Black Panther, Black nationalism. The materialistic approach actually believed in segregation. And in today's context, the leave out loud that say, for example, Jamar is really a part of, we should just leave out loud and kind of segregate. And the main reason just for that, leave, leave loud, no leave out loud, loud, thank but, you. Leave out loud. You're yeah. Right. yeah. We, I want to talk about that later, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, so the materialist approach is going to look at all the imbalances. That's all they're concerned about. So anywhere that you see imbalance that proves racism. So if you see um, too many black people imprisoned racism, if you see, uh, you know, um, and some of it was definitely spot on, you know, like the disparities and maybe some of the housing redlining, for example, mm. But they would continue that even today where there doesn't seem to be 
proof for racism, they would still say if there is economic disparity in a particular group, a materialist would say it's because of the racial um, view or ra racism is kind of underlining it. Now, the postmodernism, and jump in if you want, I'll just summarize this last point. Postmodernism yeah. is going to really look at microaggressions, hate speech, safe spaces, cultural appropriation, um, the IAP tests or the implicit association test, media representation, and they're going to be looking at whiteness. And so here they want to see how the your white um, theory is basically constructing your language. So as we, we've talked about before, because I'm a, um, a white male, there's a blurring of the boundaries per se. In other words, because of my position, they would call that positionality, based on my position within society determines my group identity, which dictates how I understand the world. So because I'm a white straight male, I, I'm based on my position, I can never understand somebody that's over here who's a black trans or who's a black female because of my position. So postmodernism would try to blur the boundary, dictate how you can't understand this person, therefore you should listen. So that's standpoint theory. So whenever mm -hmm. people say, hey, why don't you just, because of your white privilege, stand, uh, stand back and listen, that's actually standpoint theory. So you should sit back, listen to what they have to say based on that particular premise. Is that, so is that suggesting- I'm gonna stop it, there. <laughs> yeah. It's their standpoint? It's yeah. their standpoint that you're, you need to pay attention to. Right. Absolutely. Which is yeah, pure so, postmodernism. Yeah. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. So what I'd like to do, you did a great job summarizing the first, you know, several pages of the chapter. So I just want to go back yeah. and highlight a few yeah, of the absolutely. things that yeah. I um you know appreciated about that section. And and then we I'll turn it back over to you to keep summarizing from okay. where you left okay. off. But <laughs> or chime in however you want to yeah, yeah, you, you mentioned you mentioned the idea of the Bible, uh, you know, how they reference the Bible, not really ref um mentioning the skin color of someone um you know even though it's it does have tribalism and it has the the ideas associated with sort of finding your identity in your ethnicity or who you are and and actually Paul denounces that right he he's saying like that because of Christ I consider all of that stuff rubbish in comparison. He's not saying I hate my heritage. I don't want to have anything to do with my Jewish uh, you know, heritage, but he was saying that it's rubbish in comparison to Christ because in Christ, you know, we have everything, right? We have everything we need for life and godliness and for the community that God is building and create, you know, and moving yeah. us towards. So the goal of, you know, of, um, of our faith is to have that, that environment where, we do where there isn't conflict, where there isn't uh, trials and, and tension. But it, what what we're getting from this theory really is is the opposite. I, going back to the very the subtitle of the chapter, right? Ending racism by seeing it everywhere, right. as if that yeah. if, as if that is a, a wise strategy, right? Like um, you, you want to get rid of it, so let's yeah. just make sure we point every possible. Uh, episode, which is every episode, right? It's not a matter of whether there was racism involved, but what kind of racism was involved. That's, that's the, what the theory is promoting. And right. to be just logical for a second, which I know is whiteness, right? That's my white privilege speaking right now, because I think that you should be logical in your, uh, in mm. your reasoning. 
in um anyways like the the, the suggestion of that that you're going which to get something is really which by itself it's is really stupid. racist when you think about that like it's so only, racist. only white people are reasonable <laughs> so i was like right. i think my yeah. i think I think Klansmen would agree with that premise, just to let you know. <laughs> you know? So I don't want to unite with Klans people who actually would agree that only white people should be reasonable. Just to let you know. I mean, I, I yeah, just to just to point that out, how racist of a comment that actually is. So Yes, anyway, well, just in case. So, that's why yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> just, in, just in case you're not sure what Oh, what, look at that. Uh, yeah. Oh, look at this. Yeah. What we're talking about. I pulled this up earlier. So this is the white culture. This is according to the uh African-American History Museum page on whiteness. What is whiteness? Rugged individualism. Family structure. A, well, let's, a nuclear let's, family. Well, let's read that too. Rugged individualism is okay. self-reliance, independence and autonomy, highly valued plus reward. Individuals assumed to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve. So basically inner locus of a control Whereas I, as a, I could say me as a for myself as a clinician, that's actually how people get better when they stop blaming. Okay. CBT. Yeah. So do you want to read uh, family structure? Yeah. So family structure. This is this is something this is that defines whiteness. Yeah. The nuclear family, father, mother, two point three children in the ideal social unit. Husband is breadwinner and head of household, which is also happens, you know, to, I mean, at least part of that, right. The head of the household happens to be a biblical concept. Uh, breadwinner, I think is implied in a, in a lot of instances, although we don't, we don't have to go there. I'm not suggesting women can't work, but I'm just suggesting the pattern we see in scripture is pretty consistent. Um, wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. Also something you get from Ephesians five. What Children Sorry, what should would they say? To, yeah, go, go ahead. No, I was just curious. <laughs> what what should they say to all those African countries that have husbands and breadwinner? And right. No, I mean yeah, they're <laughs> they're suffering from white supremacy. Obviously, um, children should have their own rooms and be independent. Anyway, so we could really go on. Obviously, all of well, these. Well, also the other third one, if I could look up the emphasis on the scientific method. This yeah. is really the, you know as we're as we keep focusing in on. Uh, theory, you know, I was just getting into this healthy debate with a guy the other day, how he was talking about um, how, you know, he's talking about queer theory and how, you know, anti-scientific Richard Dawkins was for questioning queer theory. And I kind of pointed out to him, actually, queer theorists don't believe in the scientific method. They're actually adamantly against it, as we pointed out in our last podcast. So critical race theorists like Imbram Kendi, Jamar Tisby, those, you know, those, they, they're, they're not going to focus on the scientific method. In other words, they don't want objectivity. They don't want rational thinking. They don't want cause and effect relationships. Or so in other words, you can't measure whether or not you're right or wrong. Um, that really sounds like, a, so yeah. So keep, anyway, keep going. I was just, well, yeah. we don't, we don't have to go through all of this. The whole point was that it sure. obviously, it's not just a white thing. A lot of these are examples of just good virtues and values mm. that people hold to across uh, across ethnic boundaries. I mean, so I I don't I don't want to focus on that too much, but it it's just an obvious. Um, it, it isn't just reverse racism; it's racism to yeah. associate virtues or you know call them whatever you want some of them are vices for sure but to associate all of them with whiteness is ridiculous yeah um, and and going on the second point on the postmodern part you know just to go back to the book i mean the clear job of the critical race theory maintains a commitment to the role of the discourse in constructing social reality 
and addressing issues of apparently infinite complexity, but it, it does not usually despair of conveying meaning through clear language. In other words, um, yeah, so what that's the clear job. In other words, they want to destroy all universal truths, um, put in, so therefore, see the world as infinite complex, um, multivaried, and um, no universal claim, but also destroy the power of language, especially when it comes to binaries. So all binaries are wrong, except for the binary of oppressor versus oppressed. But their yeah. tenets, the tenets of critical race theory, CRT, is that racism is ordinary, as you said earlier, not aberrational. That's everyday experience of all people. So going back on Tisby, when you look at his book on um, color compromise, the very first premise, the very first chapter, uh, racism is everywhere. Racism does, has not died, but it's adapted. I think that's right. right. Yeah. It hasn't gone away. It's adapted. It hasn't gone adapted. Yeah. yeah that's per, yeah. That's critical CRT, right? Right from the book. Uh, the other thing too, is that a system of white over color ascendancy serves important purposes, both physic and material for, for the dominant group. So in other words, only white people can be racist. Nobody else can be because uh -huh. we're the dominant group. Um, the third part is the social construction thesis holds that race and races are products of social thought and relations. In other words, it's, inter yeah, it's, it's, opposition to the idea of racial difference as innate. So in other words, they're, they want to destroy the individual. They actually want to kind of like somewhat, not exactly, not like Buddhism, not like that at all, but they actually do not believe in the sovereignty of the individual. They, you are purely defined by your group. And, and when we start talking about intersectionality, you're, it's no I, it's, it's us in that way. So it's extremely, yeah. So that's why, that's where standpoint theory uh, is so powerful because you're not only, if you're arguing with a black man, you're not just arguing with a black, your black friend, you are arguing against us, right? All of us. So right. that's, yeah, which is really what you see with standpoint theory. And so it's, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. So you're not just yeah. talking to this one person who may disagree with you, like, you know, Brad and, and Bill, Brad is when he's arguing with Bill, who happened, who's a, who's a black man at the coffee shop. Brad's arguing with all black people, according to CRT. When you when you disagree, yeah, yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> well, I mean, yeah. That, that you you mentioned earlier too, Derek Bell and his in, involvement. One of the things that they point out in the book on page one fifteen is the idea that there has not really been any progress, and and obviously. That's what you were just saying from uh, a lot of people say, you know, like I'm not reading the critical race theorists. I'm not reading, um, you know, the academic uh, scholarly books. I, I'm just, I'm just talking to my friends. I'm listening. I'm trying to be compassionate. I'm trying to understand their story right. and I'm trying to apply it. Well, hmm. who are they reading? At some point you get back to where you see the roots of it in cultural Marxism and in socialism and in these these theories, this postmodern theory. So that's why we're going back and saying, look, yes, we said we said um, already that Jamar Tisby says you can't that we haven't made progress. We just adapted. Um, we, racism hasn't gone away. It's just adapted to very, you know, to become effective in various generations. Yeah. Um, but that's not unique to him. That's that's not his his theory. He didn't come up with that. No. Um, and and 
if someone tells you that, well, you're not listening to my story. Again, that's coming from a from a postmodern idea that narrative is just is mm. actually better than evidence, right? Or it serves as evidence, and it's not just alongside the evidence, but it's better, it's superior to the empirical data that you can study. And in, by the way, just as we said, empirical data itself is is just a problem of whiteness, right? I mean, it's something that we we need to depend upon, we depend upon for our logical mm. reason. But it's just the, so all I'm saying is we go back to it. We, I want to point out where there is consistencies because you can then say, mm -hmm. look, it doesn't, you don't have to have read Derek Bell to, right. to be understanding what Derek Bell taught through Jamar Tisby. Like Jamar Tisby is teaching Derek Bell. Yeah. Um, well, and, it, and, and that's a good segue into in the middle of the book in 121. Thank you for, that's a good, that's a really good observation because what he says, the spread of CRT you know, how is it spread? And I love this chapter in 121 where he says, because I think everyone can, when they hear this chat, when you hear, when they hear this one little paragraph, everyone, if you've been watching the Super Bowl or if you've just turned on the television or if you've just watching your news, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. And they do such a good job. So CRT doesn't consider it races, excuse me, for, um, we are told that racism is embedded in culture and that we cannot escape it. So presidential election, systemic racism, Joe Biden. Oh, so let me keep going. So we hear that white people are inherently racist. We are told that racism is, quote, prejudice plus power. Therefore, only white people can be racist. We are informed that the only people of color, that only people of color can talk about racism, that white people need to just listen and that they don't have the, quote, racial stamina to engage it. We hear that not seeing people in terms of their race being colorblind is, in fact, racist. Hmm. And an attempt to ignore the, the pervasive racism that dominates society. So that's how they see it, because you're you're ignoring the domination. If you, it's all, it's they see it as a diversion, and you're just perpetuating white privilege. Right. So you're always so it's either you you completely submit. And I don't know if you have Robin D'Angelo's little chart that would be really good to show our audience, or you are part of the problem. So it's that us versus them. It's very, very religious. I mean, it's just, it seeps with religion. And um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I just well, to I can, I'll search for the Robin D'Angelo's chart in a second. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, the 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 other thing I wanted to say, and then maybe you can start summarizing um, some more of the book, but the they they bring up the idea that and this is this is important, I think, for us to say because the assumption is that if you're pushing back on this, it's because of your racist, right? Because of your racism, uh, you're you're trying to deny uh, because you want to retain your power. You're denying the existence of racism, in, mm. at least in your own actions. And 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 I just you know I think the the idea that there is a possibility for racism to exist. In a, in a particular event or action that takes place, the question is not is is the possibility of racism there, but why do you suggest it is? Don't assume that it is. To make the assumption itself is sinful, right? It's showing partiality to someone because of the skin color. To to assume that I'm being racist is is racist. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's, it's showing partiality. So you have to show me why I'm being racist in in a particular act. Um, what am I doing? And I'm not saying it needs to be some like, you know, mm. 
hard, ev- like hardcore evidence that you could prove in a court trial. I'm just saying, point out to me why it is that you think not, don't tell me, well, I'm, you have implicit bias and therefore you must have, that must have affected the way you interacted right now. Yeah. To me, that's, yeah. that's, that is sinful. So you need to, yeah. you need to, first of all, say, come, come away from the assumptions you're making that maybe others have taught you how to make and, and begin to look at the evidence objectively. And then if there is still a problem that I need to address, I can address it. Mm. But if you come at me hot with this, like you're racist and it's, it's showing all over because of, because of what, tell me what I did to offend you. Yeah. And I will apologize if it's needed. Well, it's begging the question. And also, as we've yeah. talked before, it's, um, you know, the Freudian therapist, I know I probably have used that joke before Freudian therapy, early Freud, you know, um, where the guy comes in and he says, Hey, Dr. Freud, I had a dream last night about making love to Angelina Jolie. And the Freudian therapist says, ah, you just want to sleep with your mother. And he says, no, no, actually Angelina Jolie doesn't look like my mother. And the Freudian therapist (laughs) says, aha, reaction formation. You definitely want to sleep with your mother. You know, it's just like your head is spinning. It's just like, it doesn't matter where I go. So it's just, you know, in logic, it's just the same thing. You know, we call it begging the question. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, this is, um, it's kind now if I could kind of pick on Christians a little bit in the church, like I wonder if the reformed church has been really dominated by, I don't want to get too divert, diverge, diverge too much on this, but Christians can actually do the same thing with the Bible. You should believe the Bible, therefore, because the Bible says it's true. It's not a very good argument right now. That's not the same thing per se, but begging the question should start with something that proves to the evidence. And that's anyway, that's a, that's a different diversion for a different day. But I mean, we do have time to talk about intersectionality. I don't know if you wanted me to, um, well, that's a, or or you kind of slow down and yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of a, that's, that's a lot there. I'm okay. Slowing down. I'm, I'm not in a rush. Are you in a rush to, to no, it was 30 minutes and we could also just kind of, but you know, I think what we can we could intersectionality. Just just reviewing it again by Kimberly yeah. Crenshaw. She wants to. Uh, she really attacked the uh, the liberalism and post. Um, yeah. And well, hey, hang on, yeah. Peter. Before you yeah. jump into, because sure. I, I I'm yeah. fine with that. Intersectionality sure. is totally connected to critical race theory. I don't, yeah. I don't mind talking about it right now. But but I did want to go back to. I never yeah, did please, finish. Please. Yeah. I went off on my little tangent and okay. never came back. <laughs> yeah, let's point. let's do that. Let's talk about your tangent. Yeah. <laughs> my, <laughs> my point was that. Um, like it's okay. We should acknowledge that that racism is is a potential, and, and he mentions that right. There is valuable work in addressing measurable imbalances mm. in the political, legal, and economic realms by comparing, mm. for instance, funding for schools in majority white and black areas, differences in sentencing of black and white offenders, disparities in housing and lending in black and white communities. And you mentioned those. You said redlining. You talked yeah, about right, the right. disparities, right? Sure. Uh, differences in representation of black and white people in high prestige jobs with a view to learning um, why mm. these disparities have come about. Like if we're going to look at those disparities and then begin to address them based on like uh, the evidence and then try to try to find out, okay, well, if there is some um, some race, racial tension that's, that's, you know, that's making this worse than it should, or, or that's, that's causing this kind of disparity. Well, then let's, mm. 
let's begin to reprimand that or let's start to criminalize that activity, which is what has happened, right? You cannot, you cannot have um, like redlining is not allowed anymore. Mm. Um, now, so, so these, these things have happened historically and that's part of what the, the battle for civil rights was all about, right? I mean, yeah. it was, it was getting rid of Jim Crow laws and, and those things have been done away with. Now, if you're suggesting mm. that there's still racism, what, what he's, what the book is advocating for is to say, well, let's look at the differences. Let's compare those differences and let's find out what it is that's causing them because there could be competing theories here. And it's not just, you shouldn't just assume it's because of racism that there are disparities in mm the economic, you know, uh, world mm -hmm. or in housing communities. And I mean, there's so many factors. In fact, one of the things that Thomas Sowell oftentimes talks about is that like the welfare state is part of the reason why we've perpetuated the problems within poor communities, right? Is because we've actually mm -hmm. entrenched them in poverty all the more and we've incentivized their poverty so that you don't need, you don't want to get married. You don't want to have a two parent home. Uh, you you want to have a single family because you get more money from the government in that case. Uh, you don't want to go yeah. get a, you know, I and mean, there's a lot of factors I know, but like sure. we are incentivizing yeah. not working and we're incentivizing remaining single, both ultimately detrimental to the, to the mental and the physical and emotional health of an individual. So it's perpetuating the problem that it's stopped. So anyways, I don't want to just get off on welfare state, but that's like the idea is we've got complete competing theories and we need to analyze which one is actually causing the problem here. Well, if I could also ask this, if we went to a company and we said we need to do an IRS audit and they said, no, we don't believe in any measurable goals and we are not doing, we're not cheating because we've said that we're not cheating. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're trying to bring measurable goals and you're trying to look at our audits just prove the fact that you think that we're a bad company. Would we trust that company or not trust that company? You know, of course we wouldn't, you know, I mean, we wouldn't trust the company mainly because they're, they don't want anything outside, you know, um, to basically give them any type of accountability. I mean, if a wife thinks that her husband is cheating on her and he, and she says, Hey, I need you to look at, I need to look at your phone. And he gets, he screams at her and he says, how dare you? You should just obey my authority and walks out. Is she going to increase right. her trust? My point is, is that I think a movement right. that basically says that any objectivity or any measurable goal, why, why does racism always have to exist for you? Why can't you achieve a type of measure measurement of success? Because the minute you do, you have already basically made a boundary for yourself on mm -hmm. what you're looking for and you're immediately accountable. And I believe that all corruption comes from the lack of accountability, all yeah. of it, whether it's a church that is Ravi Zacharias that didn't have any, or if it's a movement that really looks at anybody that wants to keep me accountable needs to leave, that's a corrupt movement. That's, you know, it, it doesn't matter who it is. It's just like the minute a organization or a church or a leader says, you have no right to keep me accountable, is corrupt to the core. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. what that's what that's what I think we really need to understand about this. And not only that, but when you, you know, Thomas Sowell talks about the race baiters, who are the race baiters? I mean, you look at the amount of profit yeah. that Ibram Kendi is getting, Jamar is about to get all this. There's a lot of profit 
to Robin be D'Angelo. made. Robin D'Angelo, what, $40,000 to speak for 30 minutes? She, you know, a seven, she has a seven-figure income. Seven figures, yeah. I mean, you know, shoot. I, I mean, I used to joke in seminary, hey, I should, I think you and I probably made those jokes a few times, like maybe we should just be naming and claiming preachers and then we can make a yeah. lot more money than Presbyterian Absolutely. preachers. You know, I mean, you make a lot more money. And I don't want to see, that's the thing. I don't want to read the intentions of people because that's exactly what this movement is doing. I want to just look right. at the evidence. And the evidence actually says that if you don't want accountability nine times out of 10, there's because something seriously corrupt is going on. So I do think hmm. that that's, you know, and- I, because that's, that's what measurement actually does. But, yeah. yeah. Well, so I, I don't know where you are on the chapter, but on 117 at the very end of mm. the first paragraph, it says by looking at multiple systems of power and privilege and situating experience as a source of knowledge within them, they moved away from materialist analysis and towards the postmodern. And that's, you brought that out earlier, Yeah. but going back to that experience based mm. knowledge, really leads to the leave loud hashtag leave loud movement. Yeah. Well, let's right? let's talk saying, about that. We could wait on intersectionality yeah. on a different day. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, yeah, let's, let's fight. So the idea of the leave loud movement is, sure. uh, is, has been started by the witness podcast, which yeah, do you want to summarize podcast. that? Cause I actually don't know a lot about it. I just know a little hashtags, but you want to go ahead. Well, and, yeah, sure. Yeah. All, all I know is that they're, they're highlighting different stories from, uh, black people who have left a predominantly white setting, usually within, I mean, I think most of them are within the church. I listened to Jamar Tisby's story because I was there for part of that in, in, you know, Mississippi. So I, I was familiar with some of it, but the, I, the suggestion is that at some point you, a, a black person who's in that predominantly white setting is either going to blow out, burn out or sell out. Those are the options he gives. And then he and then he goes on to basically encourage people in those environments to just leave loud. Hashtag leave loud and, and promote your story so that we can just blow this whole scenario up. And I, I mean, I don't again, what are the intentions behind this? I think the intentions, if I'm being optimistic, are that we need to be able to be real with our story and we should not be ashamed or afraid of, of saying things because of the backlash we could get for telling that story. Um, and so I think what, what Jamar would say is he has every right to tell his story. It's his story. And if you want to threaten him with something, well, then, you know, I'm going to leave loud. I'm going to hashtag, I'm going to leave very boldly and proudly and you can, you can have, you can take it wherever you want. Basically, wow. here's my here's my version of the story, and there's something to be said for having your own um, your a willingness to defend yourself in that way. But you know, the idea that you can only have those three situations—the blowout, burnout, or sellout—is to suggest that racial reconciliation is not possible. You know it, that you cannot have a scenario where a where a black person in a white predominantly white setting is ever going to be healthy. And I would say that's just that's wrong. I mean, you look at um, there are several examples that you could look at. Bodie Bauckham being one of them, who has made that work in a predominantly white church. In fact, he he intentionally did that, became the pastor of a predominantly white church, and and he proves the opposite of that statement. 
that Jamar made. So, uh, but all yep. this to say yep. that the leave loud movement is emphasizing above all else that I have a story and that that story is so in, is so powerful and impactful that, that if I just share it, um, then I'm pushing back against racism, right? That's the work of the anti-racist is to share your story boldly. Uh, not everyone's story, like my story doesn't matter. Your story doesn't matter, Peter, but if you have the right skin color and you have the right ideology so that you're pushing back against white supremacy, then you have uh, a place yeah. at the table to leave loud. And, um, no, and, and what, I wanna, what, yeah, if I could respond. Just, yeah, go ahead. Let please. me say yeah. one more thing real quick yeah, and then I'll please. throw you. Yeah, but you, um, Vody Bauckham calls that ethnic Gnosticism. He's got a yeah. whole chapter on okay. where he basically says mm. this is a secret knowledge that you have to have. Um, and your skin color gives you that secret knowledge because you've had that experience and no one else can speak against it or into it. You wow. just have to be able to share that story. And and he just he goes, it, you know, he quotes Romans three in opposition to that and just, you know, suggesting that it's uh, that we're all corrupt. We've all been deceived by our our sinfulness, and you know. And again, to one more thing to point out in the book yeah, here, because yeah. we're reading, it's an atheist, right? Helen Pluckrose and and uh, James Lindsay are 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 unashamedly atheists, um, and they would just lump in like total depravity, the idea that sin is uh, infected all of us. They would just lump all of that in with the mythology of. Uh, of white supremacy being infecting everything in, uh, about Americans, right? So, um, you know, you can push back on both sides here, but but the i the idea that that narrative is all defining mm. is is problematic not only for logic and for a pursuit of truth, but it's also problematic for scripture from a biblical standpoint. Yeah. But, well, ahead, well, and I think it's probably good that we end on that too. I mean, I, I, I want to end on, well, let's end on the gospel. What you just said too. I mean, I, what is, especially the, when you think about uh burnout, uh, what is it? Blowout or sellout any, what Jamar just basically did right there is that he has just committed the serious Galatian heresy. He's to, yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's heresy. You know, that's the denial of the gospel. Um, number one, our stories and his stories and your stories. Yeah. They actually don't matter in the context of church. It's Jesus Christ's story that matters. And it's the gospel that matters. And that's, it's, that supersedes all stories. And if anybody tries to put their story above the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, they're, they're a false teacher, plain and simple. I mean, you know, so that's that's it doesn't matter what your color is the minute you put your story above the gospel which is the unifying message of the cross for all people and jamar actually explicitly says in one passage and not one passage in an article a little while ago that he was fighting for basically the the lord's supper only being with other black people that is a that is the galatian heresy that's the that's an outright denial of the gospel of jesus christ if i am looking at you and i'm saying you can't come to this table based on your skin color he is doing the same thing that white Klansmen did in the 1940s against blacks, and he is no better. Hmm. Jamar Tisby, if he were white in the, in the 1800s, he would have owned slaves, and he would have hmm. been a Klansman. He is no better. He really is. And that's why I'm so against what he has to say, is because it's not about white versus black. or it's, it's, he, Racism is a human problem. It's not a, it's not a white problem. It is my problem. It's my heart problem. 
And until I realize that I have a capability of murdering my brother and I need the cross just as much as everyone does, mm -hmm. I'm lost. And it's not my story. It's his story. And, right. you know, when we're preaching, we need to get the heck out of the way. And he, he is the one that redeems us, not we can't redeem ourselves. And it's I think I think, you know, I mean, Bachman's right. It's a Gnostic heresy. We keep going back to that, that this is a false gospel that cannot save any of us from our sin. It um, there's so much. It's a it's a new caste system, you know, that puts people in categories. It's the reversal of everything that we've known to be so evil in the racist wars and it's bringing it all back again. And if what we need more than anything is we it's it's is not the terrible means to get back into categories, but to get back to the unifying message of the cross, you know, and that's just yeah. I just I love what you said. And I think we need to keep encouraging our listeners. Go to the go to the Bible, go to the scripture, run to Christ, because this isn't where you're going to find him. But we also want to help our listeners, too. This is where a lot of it really comes from. And there's a lot of stuff in here, but, you know, they don't have a anyway. Yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I that's a good place to end. I I would say as just uh, as an aside, the stories that are being told right now, because they are so ubiquitous, like literally they're all over the media. They're all over uh, mm -hmm. the bookstores. Every bestseller um, list is about, uh, about race on the, in the nonfiction category, but it's like um, the assumptions that people have now just on the street are that police are at war with like, they are literally hunting yeah, right, down right. black people. Mm. And um, I, there's a Prager U uh, video where they asked three, uh, three people, I think it was black people who they were asking them uh, from a, you know, from a, like an area where there was some crime. And they said, what is, what is, um, what do you, how many black people do you think unarmed black people were shot by cops in 2019? which is the last year we have data, uh, the full data for. And the all of them said something like 1,000, 1,200, 1,400. Oh, yeah, right. And then they asked him, how many white people do you think were shot? And they said 9, 12, 14. And then they, and then they shared them within the data. And they said, no, it's actually 19 white unarmed people were shot by cops last uh, in 2019. And um, and only nine black people were shot by unarmed black people were shot. So it was it's less, and it's not even anywhere near the numbers that you're throwing out there. So the idea that these stories, these narratives, are not powerful or reaching some sort of uh, they're affecting the psyche of our nation right now. Mm -hmm. We've got to be aware of the promotion of this lie, which is yeah. what it is. It's absolute. It, it's, you know, you're, you're saying it's heresy with regard to the gospel, right, but it's right. just, it's just a lie it's with regard lie. to society, right? Yeah. It's like, it's just so false true. information. So we've got to push back against it from both angles, which Absolutely. is what we're trying to do, right? That's why we're using this book to say like, you don't have to be a Christian to push sure. back on yeah. this stuff. But if you're a Christian, you absolutely should be pushing back on it uh, from multiple angles now. You know, so I, I agree with you. I think that was a, a, a good way to, to end with the, 
with the gospel. Yeah. Uh, we had some good comments from Ben. Thank you for, for yeah, sharing. Thanks, he, he, um, <laughs> he was active. And, uh, yeah, Ben Shimon. <laughs> sounds like a halo name. Yeah, it's awesome. Benjamin. Benjamin. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Well, we had, um, you know, I, I don't know about what you think, but we were trying to keep our episodes shorter for a while. We were trying to fight to get it into 30 minutes and, and we're just not, we're not good at being. We, just, we talk too much. Yeah. I'm but sure. <laughs> frankly, I'm over that. Like I am I'm too. tired of trying to be closed too. in by these yeah. rules, these fake rules, right? <laughs> No one yeah, gave us right. those rules, but ourselves. Gave us rules. We gave us ourselves. <laughs> Why I mean, are we shaming ourselves with that? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if people yeah. want to turn it off after 30 minutes, yeah, you're welcome go right to turn ahead. it off after 30 anyway. minutes. Yeah. All right, true. man. All right. Well, hey, well, this is good. Fun. Good stuff, man. It's so good to see you. Um, Very good to see you. Yeah. And I had a good time with Sean. Yeah, we had, oh, a, we awesome. had a good time. Yeah, so he I did not hello. get to see him much at. He the, said he uh, saw you pass conference. So, yeah, we pa right. passed each other multiple yeah. times, but yeah. it was kind of a busy time, mm -hmm. and um, I was right. interacting with a lot of people. But let's definitely um, pick back up on this chapter. I want to hit intersectionality. That sounds and, good, uh, and yeah. we might be able to wrap up what we were talking about with critical race theory. But frankly, this is probably going to be a topic that we bring up multiple times on this podcast, as long as it's in the news, it's, it's sort of a relevant topic yeah. and people are interested in it. The, the, the episodes that get the most uh, attention that we've done so far have to do with race. So, uh, queer theory was also one that, that seemed oh. to strike the nerve. Yeah. So, okay. but I mean, anyway, so let's just plan on revisiting this again. Sounds good. Thanks everyone for Alrighty. listening. Thank Thanks you. guys.